A few weeks ago, uh, Arkansas Razorbacks played the Missouri Tigers, a basketball game on a Wednesday night. And the SEC had to make a statement the next day because there was a mistake in the game. Game tied 67 all. Devo Davis driving to the basket. Devo puts his, the, the guy who's trying to block him has his heels on the little circle down there below it. Would have been a blocking foul, but they called a charge on Devo Davis going the other way. Devo plays for Arkansas, so you, say, you know, just so you know, whoop, pixie. Okay. They go to review to make sure the guy was out of the circle there, restricted area, and they go over there, go to monitor, go, go to look at it, and guess what? They say it's not reviewable. What's the purpose of replay? Missouri gets the ball instead of Debo Davis shooting two shots. Debo, the, Missouri gets the ball, they score. Arkansas ends up losing the game 79-76. Could cost them potentially going to the NCAA tournament. We don't know. I'm not bitter, okay? But here's the deal I want you to hear from me. The SEC comes out the next day and says, when the officials went over to review the restricted area, the question about it, the guy in Birmingham whose one job is to do reviews, said what? It's not reviewable. Under two minutes, it's reviewable. He had one job, and he got it wrong. One job. There's another, just for anybody else, Devo Davis, oh, there's a picture of him you have up there, just so you know. Devo's from a connection to Friendly Chapel in North Little Rock. Eugene Davis, that's his nephew. If you're not a Razorback fan, now you are if you were just paying attention there. Just so you know, those who, those who are familiar with North Little Rock, that's Devo, okay? Unstoppable force. Unstoppable force. We've talked over the last few weeks about the unstoppable person when they're following after God. Acts 13, 36. David served God's purpose in his own generation, but then he died. We, look at the, we looked at the Apostle Paul. He had all kinds of reasons to die along the way, right? All kinds of reasons. But he didn't until when? Until God's purpose for his life was done. An unstoppable force. What if you got up each day knowing my life will not end until God's purpose for my life ends? How would you get up each day? What if you got up each day not thinking that this whole life is maybe getting a passing grade or some kind of class we're taking. God's keeping score. God's keeping grades. And at the end, maybe I'll get a passing grade. What if you got up each day going, I'm on a mission. I'm headed somewhere. I'm an unstoppable force when God's with me and I'm on track with him. How would you look at each day? Because today, right, is the first day of the rest of your life. It's a beautiful day in the valley to have a first day of the rest of your life, right? It's a beautiful day. And what you do with it is really up to you. It's your choice. We talked about the unstoppable people. talked about the Jewish nation. We talked about, last week, the unstoppable church. Today, we're going to talk about the unstoppable family. The unstoppable family. And we're going to do this with a very lighthearted Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17, the Ten Commandments. It's lighthearted. What else would you do on Baby Dedication Sunday, right? The Ten Commandments. We're going to read them, though, right? And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord you God, or your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the lands of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. 
You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven, above or earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow, bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. That's a key word, hate me. But showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, uh, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. And you can read through that. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land. Children, teenagers, listen to this. Honor your father and mother so you may live long in the land the Lord has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Okay, just kind of cover everything. Just the last thing there. In case I missed anything, there it is. <laughs> Even if you're not a fan of any of the teams playing in NFL conference championships today, and, and many of you are not, I'm a big Raider fan, so we haven't been there in decades, so it's not an issue there for me. But I would say this, that does hit all of us. It would be hard to play that game today if there were no rules. Actually, there would be no game. It would just be chaos, right? You just got to go, you go here, you go there. Who would referee it? You just kind of have this mess going on out there. Actually, I don't think you'd get billions of dollars for contracts to watch play it on TV because there's people going everywhere and there's no way to know. I think for most of us, even when it goes against our team, playing by the rules is best. Would you agree that playing by the rules seems to be the right thing to do? That's the reason we have instant replay. We just want to get it right. Let's just get it right. So often when we read the Ten Commandments, right, they seem unreasonable. They seem restrictive. They seem obsolete. But I love what Irv McManus says. He says, so for some, it appears as the Ten Commandments describe the place between God's best attempt and God, I mean, man's best attempt and God's divine expectation. He says, nothing could be further from the truth. The Ten Commandments are not heaven standards. The Ten Commandments are the lowest possible standard of human living. Often consider what they demand of us. So let's just rephrase it. And McManus goes on and rephrases. Hey, could you stop killing each other? Oh, yeah, by the way, could you not steal each other's stuff? And it would be really helpful if you wouldn't lie to each other about each other either. And there, here's a thought. Could you, could you not take other people's husbands and wives and just sort of like keep your own? Kind of unreasonable, Right? See, the Ten Commandments don't call us to an extraordinary spiritual life. They call us to, to stop dehumanizing one another. The law is the minimum of what it means to be human. Jesus died to fulfill the law on my behalf, even though our salvation isn't dependent. Please hear me. Our salvation isn't dependent on the laws, but we are not exempt from them. Our salvation is not dependent on us understanding the law, it is based on Jesus dying on the cross and his grace, but we are not exempt from them. 
We show our love for God by obeying his commands. How do I show you love, God? Jesus in Matthew 5, 17 through 20 says, do not think I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have, come, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For, I, for truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, and not the smallest letter, you know, the, not one iota, it's the, where we get the iota, not one iota, not one little dot over the eye. In other words, nothing's taken out of here. That's what that, that's what that means there. Not the smallest, not the least stroke of a pen, by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others according will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus is using this this legal term here, it's kind of a, it's do not think. He's saying, don't get in the habit of thinking this. Don't get in the habit of thinking that either one, we must continue to live under the law with human effort. Or, don't get in the habit of thinking that whole Ten Commandment thing was a mistake. This is a good suggestion, but it's kind of obsolete, pretty restrictive, Right? Jesus says, I don't think that I came because the law was a mistake. I came to fulfill the law. Romans 8, 4, that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met where? In you, not me. No, fully met in us. Now think about that that the righteousness of the law could somehow or another be fully met in us. Got to go back to last week and talking about the Holy Spirit. There's only one way to do that in order, in order to be able to stay in step with the Spirit. But, but Matthew 22, 36 through 40. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your, mind, your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Like it. Love your neighbors yourself. All the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. All these hang on these two commandments. Everything else, it's, in other words, what Jesus is saying, is, all the things you've been taught, the Ten Commandments are broken down into these two statements. And if you break the Ten Commandments down, it fits right in there. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. What Jesus is saying is, the whole history of redemption and all my Father's plans and acts hang on the two great purposes of God. Everything I've done, everything that's led us to right now, hang on these two things. That he be loved by his people, and that his people love each other. It would be impossible to overemphasize the fact that love is the evidence that we're following after Christ. There's no way I, could, I can't overemphasize that. 
Jesus said, love your enemies. Do good to them who hate you. Bless them that curse you. And pray for them which despitefully use you. This is impossible in the natural man. It's absolutely impossible. But it is the common denominator of all Christian character is this love. We talk about the fruits of the Spirit. They're really, the fruit of the Spirit is love and all the rest of them are traits of love. What does this have to do with unstoppable family? Really, these two verses that wrap up those verses in Exodus 20 have one job. Parents, you have one job. That's all I ask you, just one job. You say, you don't know how all the jobs, I got to wash the clothes. You got one job. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. You got one job. Well, you don't know what, you got one job. How does this play out? Well, I've said this before, and I'll say it. Who knows, someday the Lord may change it. I've said before, you don't have to raise your kids like I've raised my kids. I had a hard enough time. I'm not trying to raise your kids except those who've, when I was a youth pastor for a long time, I tried to be a small part along the way of helping that. I'll never, Jan and I will never write books on how to parent. <laughs> we got some suggestions, but, you know, it's been, a, it's been one of these things, right? You just kind of figure it out as you go. Nobody took, you know, the Lamaze class doesn't do for how to raise your kids, just so you know. That's the only class I took. And some of you haven't even taken that, okay? It just doesn't work. You know, as a matter of fact, the Lamaze class didn't even work, okay? I get in there, Sydney, our first daughter's being born, and Jan just get out of the way. <laughs> so that didn't even work, okay? But no other classes, no other classes how to get these kids to, no other classes for the most part. But some thoughts, if you want them, I'm going to have them up on the board. So if you think they're important to you at all, you can do it. One of them says, I believe this, and Janet, I tried to do this. We're all convinced that this is the best way to live. Jan and I never wavered, and we believe this is the best way to live. And then we tried to share that with our kids. This is the best way to live. I think so much of the tension in families and churches and businesses, you name it, and countries or whatever, but comes from the lack of knowing or misunderstanding, or disagreeing, and who we are supposed to be and where we're headed. Most families never figured that out. Most, fam- no, most couples never figured that out. They never asked that question. See, when you have a plan, you have a direction, right? Because you can't keep saying this. I'm, I'm still a little bit from Andy Stanley. You can't, see, you can't see, keep saying, I want this for my family, and these are my values, and these are all these things. And keep walking that way. It doesn't make any sense to anybody. Can't do it. 
Can't do it. Talk about it. Can't do it. But it gives you a bearing point. It keeps the guardrails. This is where we're headed. No, that won't work. No, we can't buy that. No, our kids can't do that. Or whatever you want to say, we're not doing it because this is where we're headed. Now, they can get old enough and do whatever, and you know that and I know that. If you're a parent, you know how that works. That doesn't mean you change. Second thing is, to learn, and I think in a healthy home or a healthy place, and you're headed, you learn to live beyond yourself. Others become first. That is hard, because we're all born with this nature, right? It is me first. Everything in life filters through me first. As a little kid, all the way through adults, we think, we think we're the main character in the whole, whole show or the whole movie, and everybody else are bit players. We don't want to admit it, but we often do. But we learn to live beyond ourselves. There's stability and security. This is probably one of the biggest things I see in families where there's instability and there's insecurity in the marriage, insecurity in the parenting, insecurity. I see it. If you had an opportunity today to write down people you can count on, how long would that list be? I mean, really count on. I'm not talking about just count on for that little thing. I'm talking about count on for life. That you can trust them. You can trust their character. You can trust where they're headed in life. You can trust them. You can trust them with more than your money and more than your wife. You can trust that that what they're trying to do in life makes sense. Trust them. Because few things are more sacred between two people or a group of people than trust. And when that trust is broken, you know some of you are are the result of that trust being broken. What you're dealing with, can we talk about strongholds earlier in the song? Some of the strongholds in your life are because you don't trust. You don't even trust God. You don't trust other people. And it's broken. I can't believe we understate trust so much. How much it's understated in our culture. No, you can't turn on the TV show. You can't look to Washington. You know it. You, I think we can all kind of agree on that. What do we look to to believe? And so we begin to look at those institutions and go, hey, I ain't trusting you no more. Oh, I may trust you on that little bit of thing if it, if it, if it helps my narrative, <laughs> right? Sometimes without fact-checking that. But in a family, there's got to be this stability that I can count on these people. Another one is you're, you know the people and you are known and play a valuable role. I tell parents often, do not let your children opt out of chores and please don't take it away from them. When I see children, I'm talking about all the way through teenagers. I know some teenagers in here going, what are you doing, Pastor Kurt? Part of the reason I say that is because you're saying to them, we don't need you. Those who grew up with family, that grew up in the 30s and 40s and 50s, like my dad and mom, 50s maybe. You needed those kids because they played a role. But we fast forward to where we outsource so many things. All of a sudden, we really don't need them. Matter of fact, they're a leech, they're a drain on the system. 
you really think about it, they're just, they're taking, they're not giving. And when you decide that they can no longer give and you decide they're not valuable, that's a huge thing. Please think about it. You should be in a family, in a place, a church, wherever it is, that you play a valuable role in this thing. We need you. We need you. Church, we need you. We need you to find your purpose. We need you to find your calling. The church needs you. Our community needs you. Some of you need to get set free, and we talked about earlier, because there's people waiting on you to, just waiting on you to get free first. Because you're in their path. You're the one that rubs shoulders with them. I don't. They're waiting for you to live into your full purpose because you play a valuable role. Another one is where boundaries are set and teaching happens. Boundaries need to be set, folks. We talked about it earlier in the football game. 50 yards wide, 100 yards long. Do everything in here. Wouldn't, you, wouldn't it be awesome if God said, you know what? Like in the garden, right? In the garden, there was only one no and everything else was a yes. Sometimes we think it the other way, don't we? But what if God said, you know what? Do what you, what, what, he gave us the parameter of a 50 yards wide, 100 yards long. He goes, do whatever you want to in there. Just stay within that. You don't have to come to me with everything. Just stay within that. Stay within the guardrails. Boundaries are set. Another thing is, I believe in a home, and you can take these again, take these for what they're worth. I, it's kind of how we looked at it. You're taught that decisions matter. My kids have heard a hundred times. You can choose your choices, but you can't always choose your consequences. You know what that comes from, right? It comes from our self-absorbed nature. That self-sovereignty that I call the shots, that I really call the shots. What a delusion. And your child, if you're not careful in your home or the other spouse or whoever it is, somehow or another wants to challenge the fact that I'm an exception to the rules. I know it, I know it applies to you. But I am the exception to this rule. Like me eating, right? It's like me eating a, a bowl of bluebell ice cream at 9.30 at night. My choice, but it does not suspend me being miserable all night. And it does not suspend metabolism, right? It, you know, what I'm saying is this. I can choose my choices. But I cannot always choose my consequences. There's two great teachers in life, and you've heard us talk about, those who are here heard us talk about it before. And both have significant cost. The two costs are discipline and regret. The cost of discipline is insight and integrity and wisdom, and conviction of cost, and that conviction costs far, far less than regret, and it isn't even close. Where you learn, another one is where you learn and are allowed to take risk physically and emotionally, and I could get into some deals there, but I won't talk about that. But memories, memories and traditions are created and are celebrated. And I think it's, it's good. And that's the reason why we do celebrations here. We celebrated today these seven families and these, these six families and these seven children because we believe it's worthy of celebrating. I know larger churches, maybe we're not doing it as much anymore because, I mean, there's so many. I, get, I understand all that. But for us, it's still important. So we still try to do it. But the last one is this. It has to do with our scripture this morning. Idols are called out. 
You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven and earth, above or earth, but or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Again, that's heavy, I realize, and we can unpack that, but, but this is what I want you to hear for those who hate me. But showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Do not form idols. You might say, I'd vote for Jesus. I'd vote for God. If I was in a voting booth, I'd vote for God. I wouldn't, maybe I wouldn't vote for Allah, and I wouldn't vote for Buddha. I'd vote for Jesus. Okay. You know, you know, him nor other gods before God, right? I'd vote for Jesus, <laughs> right? But then when you get this one, you, you say, well, I don't, I don't curse, and I don't blaspheme God, so that, that number three, really not a big issue for me. And number four, okay, yeah, I take two days off, three days off, so I'm good there. That's cool. Uh, uh, honor your father and mother. Done that. I hadn't, I hadn't killed anybody. Uh, I, I hadn't committed adultery, but you may have had lust in your heart, which is worse in the New Testament. There you go. Uh, you shall not steal. I'm not doing that. But this one right here, I shall not create another image. I shall not have idols. It's a hard one. Tim Keller says, Anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give you what only God can give, that's an idol. In, essentially, an idol can be anything that takes place of God as the most important focus and priority in our life. That's probably the hardest one of those 10 for most of us. I'm including that. Jonah 2.8 says, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. There are certain things that are not worthless, but they become idols. There are some things that are worthless, like fantasy football can become an idol, or sports, or recreation, or toys, or, or, or status, or my image on, 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 on social media. There's a lot of things that become really more important to me than anything else. My wealth can become more, but we, we know we could go down a list. We, most of us could name most of those things that probably could become idols, and they are there. Technology, no doubt, has become an idol in our culture for many of us. We go there first before we do anything else. Have you ever had that thing just calling you, drawing you, going, I got to open this up right now? I don't know why I've got to open this up right now, but I got to open this up right now. Then there's things that are not worthless, for sure. And I'm not even saying all those are worthless. You know that. Retirement can become an idol. There's just all kinds of things that become idols. They go, they're before God. and Before me falling after, calling after him and chasing after him. What if your children became an idol? You show me a family where the children are idols... I'll show your family in trouble. Show your marriage in trouble. Because often when you talk about idols, most people don't say, well, my marriage is an idol. That's usually not even close to the top. It's usually somehow or another, I've shifted my focus of what's not working here to my kids. So often. And now we're caught up in this, this, this whatever this is. 
And you may think I'm a, I'm a bad father and, and I'm okay with that. My kids knew. Christ first, mom second, you're third. Still is. I'm not here to be your friend. Well, come on, Kurt. I want to make my kids. I'm not. They all have plenty of friends. They only got one of me. They only got one dad. The byproduct is if I do what I'm supposed to, I will be their friend. But if I become their friend first, I make bad decisions for them. I've been put in their life in that office for a reason. And it goes back to Exodus 26. To a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. I want a thousand generations after me to be affected by me. You're arrogant, Kurt. I'm just reading what Scripture says. I have, I have, a, I have, a, I have some say-so in this. Again, I'm not telling you how to raise your kids. You do what you want to do. But I want the best that I can to have an unstoppable family. A few years ago in 2010, Allie was on her uh, ASU. She went to London for a semester. And I knew the day that she left in August of that year. I knew she was in trouble. I knew it for the fact Many of you know Allie's on staff here. She preaches, and Lord's, there's a lot of story there. And, of course, all my kids, this just happens to be one fits today, so just apologize to my other three kids. So they just came. No. And I knew when she went, she was in trouble. Then Dr. Dan and I had to go to Armenia for, for a pre-trip for, 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 for looking at some medical stuff in Armenia, and we were on our way back, and we stopped in London and spent basically 36 hours, I think, or maybe or less than that. But I spent time with Allie, and we talked all the way up to 2 o'clock in the morning. I don't know if there are pictures up there. Yeah, so we were, yeah, I was a lot younger. How do you like that shirt? That's a good-looking shirt right there, right? You know what? I was hip. I was cool. Uh, the whole time I was there, I knew she was in trouble. I knew she had turned her back. I knew she was walking the way that if she didn't turn back, she was in deep trouble. It was going to lead her places. She and I talked to two in the morning on the front steps of her flat there on St. Michael Alley. I don't know what it's called, street it's called, but it's an alleyway. If you've ever been to London, you know, everything kind of dumps into the alley in some of those places. And you go ahead and show that picture just kind of where it was. And it was up here at the top end, kind of close to the telephone exchanges, right at the, you'd step out into that, and, and, uh, and there's, just, there's this thing in me because of things she's saying, the conversations we're having about social things and a lot of different things, and I'm sitting there going, okay, should, do I kind of give her some, do I move a little bit, do I kind of shift my thinking a little bit because my daughter, I want her to think, not that I'm cool, but I want to make sure she knows she's safe with me, but I, in the middle of that, the Spirit just kept convincing me, just stay where you are, keep the path, stay straight. And so we're sitting on that, on the, on the front step of that place there, and, and, and I tell her, I've got to leave, and Dr. Dan and I are flying out like at five in the morning, or whatever it was, and, and so I'm going back to the hotel, and I walk down to where it says the Royal Exchange Pub here, and turning the corner there, and I turned that corner, I remember turning that corner, and, and as I turned that corner, I, 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 I just had this overwhelm, I just, I was crying, because I knew, I knew, I knew I was leaving her. 
to her own devices. I knew I was leaving her to devices. I knew I was leaving her to, to, to things that I, I'm going to be how many miles away, and there's nothing I can do in that moment. And I started to turn back around and go down that street, and the Holy Spirit, I believe, checked me. And, and I just cried out to the Lord, Lord, she's your daughter. She's always been your daughter. She's never been mine. I'm turning her over to you. I'm handing her to you. And I didn't know that that night, Allie wrote a little deal. And again, this is not, I, I'm saying this because I just want to encourage you. Hold the line. She wrote this thing. This is Allie. If you know Allie, she has a tendency to do things like this. Gave me a little book. Our Weekend in London, October 9, 10, 2010. But this is her last line while she's in the middle of this. My dad is my best friend. Nothing could ever replace him. I just love him so much, and I'm more than blessed to have such a godly example in my life. And I can't wait to see him again in December. I love you, Daddy. And the reason I'm reading that to you is not because I don't think I'm all, I don't, I, I, I don't live it like I wish I did. But what I know is I'm doing the best I can to live it in front of her. Because I'm telling you, I want a thousand generations to be breathing off my fumes. I want to be an unstoppable force long past I'm gone. Because of that statement that David served God's purpose in his own generation and he died. Matter of fact, Scripture tells me that can go past that generation. Your purpose now can go to generations beyond you. So when I look at this picture of my family, and, and, and I, know, like you, I know a lot of people say, well, why do you talk about your family so much? Why do you do it? Because it's my church. I get to lead here. I get to talk about my family, okay? If you want to talk about family, you get your own church. That's, that's what I've said before, right? I'm just saying, this is where I'm the only family I got. It's the only one I got. But I want those little ones, great-grandkids, to be breathing off my fumes. Will it work? I don't know. But what I know is this. I got one job. You have one job, man. To bless the generations following me. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love your neighbor as yourself. Just stand with me. That's your sign them to come up. We're going to close with the song. We read earlier Jesus talking about, Jesus saying, Matthew 19, do not hinder them from coming to me. That word hinder there, I believe, has way more significance than holding them back physically. I think it has a deep spiritual significance the way that's written. Do not hinder them from coming to me. Again, I know I got a little cocky there at the end and making, trying to be funny. I sure hope you hear my seriousness about this today. I'd say most of us in here, if we've got kids, do not hear what I'm not saying when I say, when I say don't make an idol. You've been given a huge responsibility. Do everything you can. To lead them, to protect them, to raise them up in security. But I think when I walked away from Allie that night, 
I could do two things. I could give her unconditional love and still be God is my number one love. That's the only way it could work. Because when you read, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, it can only come from there. Lord, help us right now. As we sing this song, as we speak your name, Lord, for some today, speaking that name, they've been a long time. They get to do it in a song. For some, something comes across their mind right now. It could be their marriage, could be their family. It could be a stronghold, as the, as the song says. I speak Jesus. Lord, you're the one that makes the turn in our lives. Not a fast-talking, wherever it is, preacher somewhere. But it is only you that transforms lives. We give these folks you today to do what you will. We love you. Thank you again for the folks that are here today. We pray this in your name, Jesus.